The word unravel, it means to untangle, to unsnarl, to unwind. But it also can be defined as to decipher or to reveal or to clarify. I think to understand unraveling, it's, it's to acknowledge and to grieve what has fallen apart, to let go of those carefully laid plans. But, but when we do acknowledge that grief and we do let go of those things, it can open us up to new possibilities. It can open us up to what God can do in our lives. It can open us up to allow God to meet us in those unexpected places, in those places where we may find ourselves fearful, but also in those places where we might find hope that we didn't know could be, hope that we never imagined. When we allow God into those places, God's newness is allowed to unfurl, to go before us, and we find that God is with us in the midst of all of life's, form, all of life's storms. Prior to the passage that we read in today's scripture, Jesus is experiencing life's storms. He's feeling battered and bruised by the waves. At the beginning of chapter 14, his cousin, John the Baptist, is brutally beheaded. And then right after that, we find the miracle where he feeds the 5,000. But Jesus, he had to have been feeling all that grief and, and all that sorrow at losing his cousin. That cousin who, when Mary came to Elizabeth's house, that cousin was in Elizabeth's womb. And that's the cousin that leaped when Mary walked into the house, knowing that he was in the presence of the Lord of the world, of the Savior of all creation. It's that cousin, John, who was his forerunner, who went ahead of him, proclaiming, prepare ye the way of the Lord. One who is far greater than I is coming. And so right after John's death, you see that, that Jesus, he tries to retreat, which is pretty common for Jesus. He tries to retreat for a little while, maybe to grieve, maybe to pray. What now? Yes, he was fully God, but he's also fully human. So he's experiencing that full range of emotions of grief at losing his cousin. But he's followed by the masses as he tries to retreat. And that's where we get the story of the feeding of the 5,000, that great miracle that he performed. It's those masses that may have been even some of John's followers that are there in that crowd. And as one artist puts it, she says, the crowds of Jesus's ministry, all of it is surging against him, just like those waves were surging against the boat as it drifted farther and farther from the shore. Think for a minute, if you've ever been out on the water when a storm approaches, you know the fear and the uncertainty that it can bring. The lightning, the thunder, hoping that the lightning doesn't strike your boat or strike you if you're in the middle of a field or someplace like that. You know that fear that, that pulses through your veins, that pulses through your body. And that's where those disciples were that night as they were in the boat. They were trying to keep it afloat as it's battered by the waves and by the storms. Jesus had sent them on ahead because after he fed the 5,000, he finally got that opportunity to go away and to pray, to go away in that moment of solitude, in that moment of meditation. And it's while the disciples are without Jesus, the disciples are on that boat and the storm comes up on the Sea of Galilee with the fierce winds and with the strong waves. 
And imagine being those disciples, having tried to keep the boat afloat all night long, early in the morning, maybe just before dawn, Jesus comes walking towards them on the water. And at first, they don't realize it's him. They think it's this ghost that is coming towards them. And it's when Jesus speaks to them that they recognize his voice, that they recognize his presence. And it's that that calms them, hearing the sound of his voice. Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. And of course, Peter, the most impulsive disciple that there ever was, of course, Peter's the one who's like, dude, if that's Jesus walking on the water, I want to get out there and walk with him too. He doesn't take a minute to think before he does anything. Peter's the one who always acts first and then thinks about it later. When I was in youth group as as a teenager, we would do this exercise in trust with our friends where you would stand with your back towards all your friends, a group of people behind you. Some of you may have done this in workplace team building exercises too, but you've got all these people behind you and then the leader says, okay, cross your arms and fall back. They're going to catch you. And you're thinking, yeah, right, they're not going to catch me. And yet we do this trust exercise where we fall backwards. And if you've ever done it, you know that sense of falling backwards, that sense of fear, that sense of feeling off balance, that sense of, of being uneasy, praying in that moment that those people are going to catch you. It's hard to trust people to catch you when you fall. And that's where Peter is. He's in that trust fall exercise. He trusts and has great faith in Jesus. And he says, Jesus, I want to come to you. Let me walk on water. And so he gets out of the boat and he begins to walk toward Jesus. He trusts in that moment that Jesus will make it happen, that he can truly walk on water. And at first it works. At first he successfully walks on water until the point at which he loses focus completely. He begins to look down. He realizes what he's doing. He's finally thinking about what he actually acted upon. And his trust begins to waver. His sense of balance is way, way off. There's this particular type of impala. It's called the African impala. And it's kind of like an antelope. And if you've ever seen these things, they're kind of small, but they can leap as high as 10 feet. They can go forward as far as 30 feet when they leap. But you can keep them enclosed in a zoo with just a three-foot wall, three feet high. That's all. Think about it. They can leap 10 feet high, but you can keep them in a zoo without running off, without jumping out, with just a three-foot high wall. Because the deal with an African impala is it won't take a leap if it can't see where it's going to land. It won't jump over the wall because it can't see over the wall. Peter, he won't take that leap of faith because he can't see where he's going to land. Once he loses all focus, he doesn't know where it is that Jesus is taking him. He doesn't know where this journey he's on is going. And it's at that moment when when his trust and his faith begins to waver that he begins to sink into the depths of the sea. And it's in that moment that Jesus reaches out his hand to Peter and he pulls him up and he gets him into the boat. 
And when they finally get into that boat, the storm ceases, the waves calm, all is well. You see, for the Hebrew people, they understood water in a much different way than we necessarily do. We see it as a physical reality, but they saw it as more than that. They saw it as this metaphysical threat to human life. Water for them represented a threat of evil powers against them. The depth of the sea, it was unfathomable for them. This consuming deluge or this river just running and rushing with flooding water. Think about the story at the beginning of creation when God creates the heavens and the earth. It's not till day three that God calms the chaos of the waters, that we see land and that we see vegetation. God controls all of that and God brings order to that chaos. God puts us on dry land. We see with the flood and Noah that God walks out, washes out the evilness of humankind and saves the people, saves Noah's family and, and just those few animals. But God destroys the earth with water. The Red Sea, God parts that so the Israelites can walk to safety and uses that water to flood the Egyptians. In Isaiah, we see that, that well-known passage of when you pass through the waters. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. For I, I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Take heart, it is I. Do you hear that coming through when Jesus speaks to the disciples? Because God can transcend all the dangers that water may pose. God transcends all the storms of life that we may faith may face. As Jesus, as he approached the disciples, as he came towards that boat, as he came walking on the water, the disciples, they're naturally afraid. They'd been through a pretty tough night. And as they see Jesus coming toward them, they think, who is he that can do this? Who has such power and such authority that they can walk on water? And it's in that moment that they recognize that God is with them. Their Emmanuel has come to them on the water to calm that storm. Jesus comes to them, letting them know exactly who he is. He is the Holy One of Israel. He is their Savior. In the midst of the uncertainty of life for each and every one of us, in the midst of those moments of struggle, in the midst of those moments of doubt, in the midst of the unraveling, when it feels like all the threads of life have been torn apart, it's in those moments that God comes to us, that God walks towards us, that God pulls us up from the depths of the sea, from the depths of distress, from the depths of heartache, from the depths of fear. It's in those moments that God pulls us up puts us in the boat, and gets in there with us. I think that's some pretty good news. Let us pray. Holy and loving God, we give you thanks. 
We give you thanks that no matter what it is that we face in life, that you come to us again and again and again, that, that truly you never leave us. God, when we face life struggles, when we face life storms, in the good moments of life, in all the moments of life, help us to always recognize you in our midst. They're with us, guiding us. They're with us, going before us, coming behind us, walking by our side. Help us to never lose sight of you, knowing that you love us, knowing that you came to save us, knowing that we are your children. God, guide us in sharing that with others and showing your light and letting others know that you are always present, that you are always in our midst. Holy God, we do pray today for our world. We pray for those places where people are living in fear and in struggle, for those places of war and terror, those places of political unrest. We pray for leaders that you would give them wisdom in the midst of all of it to make good decisions for all people and not just for some. God, we pray for those in our community, those in our families, our friends, who are struggling, who are living in fear and doubt. Help us to be there for them. Help us to show you, to show your love and to show your care. God, may we all be found to be your faithful followers no matter what it is we face in life. We pray all of these things to you now. And together, we join in praying the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.